היי אבריבדי, היי צי. היי, היי צילי. היי אדגר, אדגר קרי, הרייטר. טאפ דייז, אה? אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
nobody makes films these days. You know, people do stuff for TV, but but everything you taught us is really not relevant unless we'll find a time machine. And you know, it's kind of hit me because I think that young people today uh, can create visually, can create textually, but if they'll kind of, you know, say, okay, I'll write a manuscript and send it to publishers, then the chances are very, very low. If, on the other hand, they'll say, okay, what world am I living in? What can I use in this world? How can I communicate for it? Then their uh, situation uh, will be much better. And I'm saying, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm not a young guy, but, but uh, I'm a... Your passion is like a young, <laughs> Do you I don't see a difference in terms of passion or the need to write or make Yeah, you know? no, 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 but, but, but I'm saying I'm not a young guy, but I force myself to learn what younger people right. learn just because my goal had stayed the same and the system had changed. So I could just either bang my head against the wall or... Or but try to adjust. That the fact that you write short stories because you started, you know, this was really like a new thing when you had it in the beginning, very short stories, because people don't have maybe patience, you know, to read long stuff, because I see how everybody's short on reading and it maybe helped, do you think? Well, first of all, I think that I'm some kind of a neurotic prophet because I lost my patience long before humanity. Uh, but I think that you're right that, you know, short stories are much easier to consume with a shorter attention span. And at least my attention span had became much shorter. But I'm saying some, something more than that. For example, let's say I discovered podcasts. So it's something that I really like about podcasts because the fact that, uh, that you are not being filmed, you know, it doesn't have this kind of uh, urgency of a TV and that you can listen to it while, I don't know, you wash the dishes, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. Then it became, I think in modern time, like a new a way a, to communicate. Very popular actually, here. Very popular in Israel too. Also US. So, so, so I can say that, you know, that for example, for me, the most meaningful project that I've made, I, I would say at least in the last four or five years, maybe, maybe in my lifetime, is basically collaborating on a podcast uh, with Ira Glass for This American Life about my mother, you know, talking about Holocaust Memorial Day, who was a, was a Holocaust survivor. So I'm saying, if you would ask me 20 years ago, would you want to do a podcast about your, your mom? I would say, no, 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 you know, it's serious matter. I would want to write a book. But now I realize that it's not less serious in any ways. It has the same depth and it's just something that I use to perceive radio as something that you put in your car when you go to visit your aunt, you know, and that it's either people kind of arguing about politics in a very shallow and loud way or, or, or country music, you know, it's really, it's not, it's not a, it's not a medium in which a, uh, you you can have a serious discussion now these days when I want to learn something about economy or about philosophy I just look for the relevant podcast. So, yeah, but you know, so but you have other venues. I just heard uh, a program with Avishai Cohen, Ebiatar Banai, mm -hmm. and the musician. Uh, you know, uh, what is name? Uh, Shaba. What is first name? Shaban. What is the first name? Never mind. Shlomi, Shlomi Shaban. And they were doing music with lyrics to your one of your stories. Did yeah, you know? oh, wow. No, well, I didn't know that. Well, you uh, sure? Sure, I'm sure. There is, a, <laughs> there is a commercial, sure? Yes, yes, I'm sure. That, but maybe, but there is a line there. If I remember well, something that you say, that you are less whatever than the woman you love. Is it possible that you said something like that in one of your books? That I'm less, I'm less whatever, <laughs> less important or so less worthwhile. Well, I think that there is a song maybe that I wrote for Avetarbana. It is okay, called okay. the yeah, okay. that it's called the uh, many people resemble me. That's it. But but no, but nobody looks like you. 
Yeah, no, I think this is yeah, it. Check yeah, it yeah. out. So yeah. in, I was, you know, we were just talking to, um, you know, to the musician, composer, Ella Sharif, um, and she composed yes. music to a, to a painting. You know, wow. so we, we, and I, and I, I a really, series of painting that were made uh, based on uh, women and and the girls who were perished in the Holocaust, and the the artist turned it to positive, beautiful paintings. And Ella wrote a, a piece for each painting and each character. But but you know the the music, if I remember, it was like almost like praying. And I was thinking about you. Do you pray? Uh... You know, I think that uh, I yearn, you know, which is a more agnostic way of praying, but I think many times I'm focused at what I would want to happen. I just don't treat it as if I'm kind of operating the microwave or making myself a coffee. You know, I just, I say, wow, you know, I would want this to happen. You know, I would give everything for this to happen, but, but I'm not uh, assuming that there is, anybody out there who's doing takeaways, you know, so, <laughs> so but, uh, but, you know, but, uh, but praying is good. So what happened to you now with all these incredible times mm -hmm. that we don't really, how can you write, can you focus and write stories? Is everything not that so can... much, not, not as much. I would say that, you know, there is something, uh, I think that uh, it's a little bit, let's say, writing is a bit like dancing so it's more difficult to dance when there is an earthquake you know it's like it's difficult to do fancy moves you know when the earth is shaking uh, and the and i feel that you know i it's funny but it, many times when when i feel very creative and i try to channel it to writing a story in the end i find myself i don't know a writing a new sign for a demonstration oh or, <laughs> or writing an op-ed about the situation. You know that I had a sign in one of those demonstrations that said, uh, I, used, I used to write books, now I write signs. Oh and then God. you can collect oh, all the signs and have a book. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's, that's not, but, but tell me something, um, reading your books, and you can correct me because, you know, you don't have to uh, analyze what you do, or maybe yes, maybe not, but, you know, so I almost feel like you look at a person or society or slice of life or something, and you almost take it apart, and then somehow you construct it again in your own way, so if you agree with me or not, this is how I feel, so can you somehow put this into, how do you look at what's happening? Can you take it apart and see if it would, it will be possible to construct it in a way that we can keep our love? Yeah, yeah well, again, you know, I think that the legacy that my two late Holocaust surviving parents have given me is really this idea that, uh, that you need to be optimistic in a way that you believe your optimism and it's crucial for your survival. You know, it's really like if you want to survive, you have to think that things can get better. You know, it's really, I remember that uh, during the second intifada after I, I got married, I talked to my parents and I said to them you know I really want to have a child but at the same time I think that the word there is so crazy that it would feel wrong to bring a child to this world and my, my mother laughed and she said you know if after they murdered my entire family I found myself enough hope to bring you then maybe you should give it a try mm -hmm. and there is something about it that this idea that uh, that when you look when you look around you, you see a lot of a, a lot of a, a, a fragmented pieces of reality, and you construct them. And usually, like you know, the media would serve you a two opposing narratives. You know, right. 
like you know you would say oh my god trump is going to ruin this country or oh biden is senile you know the aliens are taking over you know but basically they just give you a couple of options and you have to to choose sure. if you, and and with me i i feel that you know let's say i i i really try to keep my own personal narrative in this big turmoil so so for example when i go to the protests then there is something that fills me with optimism that uh, I used to I used to take part in many protests, left-wing protests. Now, usually the left-wing protests, everybody that would come would share the same ideas. But mm-hmm. with this current po- protest, when you have to deal with, with people who want to dismantle Israel's democracy or, you know, to weaken the Supreme Court or... Uh, uh, to to affect uh, uh, equality, then in the bottom line, you can see in one protest, let's say, a guy who's a, an Air Force pilot who's demonstrating because he knows that without a strong court, when he'll take his children to a vacation, you know, he'll be uh, arrested. Uh, arrested and sentenced, sentenced in Hague next to people who are fighting for Palestinian rights in the territories. So they don't share, share their opinions. It's not about left but, and but, right. Yeah, but you understand that you have something in common. It's so it's about so when I go there, I can see people, religious people, demonstrating for democracy next to a homosexual lesbians demonstrating for, for democracy. And in this ecosystem, there is this kind of a, a ability a, to coexist, you know, because it's not like an ideological camp who wants to, to a, advance its a, a fully articulated ideology. It's really people who are fighting an exterior threat, you know, like people fighting a storm, you know, people, I don't know, fighting a, a COVID. You know, and there is something about this this thing that kind of uh, it also has a uniting power. I think that uh, it's funny because it's Holocaust Memorial Day, and I remember that when I was a, I was a child, I asked my father if uh, for him the Holocaust was a bad time, which <laughs> is which is basically you know a question that only a five year old yeah. a five year old can ask. And my father looked at me and he says. You know, son, I don't think that there are good times or bad times. The way I, I look at it, there are easy times and difficult times. All my life, I yearned for the easy times, but I have to admit that it was the difficult times in which I've learned my, on my uh, stuff about my, more things about myself. So, so in a sense, you know, the, the way of structuring things, my, my father didn't say anything that was different than what all the other people said. But not only did he make this reality his own, but he was able to form it to something that is not a, a, a 100% something. It could be 92% something or 86% something. And, and you know, my parents as Holocaust survivors, they were always like that. I, because let's say my father, uh, I remember that once in school, they taught us about the lesson of the Holocaust. In Israel, they talk a lot about the lesson of the Holocaust. Right. And my, when I told my father, he, he laughed and he said, you know, I think that uh, the Holocaust was big enough uh, to allow a lot of lessons, you know. Do you think that in very, all those years... Very, very unusual. Very, very smart. Unusual. Yeah. Very unusual. Yeah. Smart. But I think now the hope was crushed and, and everybody... came out you know but they all saying. picked up the flag yeah that's, that's, think how the Israeli flag suddenly everybody pick it they up got a new a new life the Israeli flag after that it was abused and the uh, declaration so of independence yes. suddenly everything you know it's it used to be actually that a lot of uh, people hanged you know the I think it was more the right wing who hanged the flag in, in, in the independence yeah But suddenly it's you know yeah yeah it's again you know it's for me the same way that I cannot hold a sign that I didn't write it's very difficult for me to hold the flag because the moment that I 
that I hold the flag, I feel I'm working for somebody, you know? Really? When I I hold my one my thing, you know, I could write a sign, you know, Israel, you're in my heart. But I'm saying if I can't even articulate it, you know, if I can't express it, then I don't feel I own it, you know. Don't you think, I'm just a guy. Don't you think guy the holding something. holding the flag is actually externalizing the internal? Yeah, but I'm again, you know, I'm saying I'm not. I'm. I feel that something beautiful happened. To the flag and you know and and when I, I when I go to demonstrations I feel that I I I perceive it differently but I think that you know even let's say when you when you cook then you then uh, the good recipe is to mix tastes right it's not that I cook but I'm saying you put something a little bit bitter and then something sweet and then and and I think that the way that if I would look, I don't know, at, at the, this protest as some kind of a, a dish, then I feel that you need to have the flag as some kind of a dough, you yes. know, to carry. The flower, yes. But if Hold it's it only the flags, yeah. it's faceless, you know. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, I said to my son that he asked me what, which signs I think are the best signs in demonstration. And I say, I think that the best signs are the signs that the only only the person who carries them can carry them. That nobody they, they can't steal it from. You know, I I went to, to last week to demonstration. I saw a sign. Somebody said, uh, "My my grandmother Rachel didn't walk all the way from Morocco to Israel just to have another king." Yeah. Wow. So so when I see this sign, I can't say to somebody, "Hey, give me this sign," because my mom. Is a Holocaust survivor. She didn't walk here from Morocco. I need to make my own sign. And I'm saying it doesn't have to be only with your biography. It could be with your choice of word. It could be if you like to rhyme. It could be if you have a sense of humor or a sense of pathos. Right. But the idea is that you make this choice. You know, I'm, I'm saying the same way that I think, you know, I really, really like to order takeaway. But I'm saying, you know, to have some kind of a balanced diet diet i need sometimes to have a home-cooked meal you know tell me something so, so is yes. your son can write a sign uh my father didn't write his short stories for the people who don't want to read or listen <laughs> well my son doesn't go to the demonstration oh no uh, no and and the and it was very nice because i think it was some aunts that said to him but you have to go. And he said, Auntie, if I would have to go, then the demonstration would mean nothing. They, they mean something just because there are people like me who choose not to go. <laughs> yes, I don't, yeah, that's, that's, I'm trying to understand what, does, what is the subtext there. He's a teenager also. Yeah, yeah I, I think that he I, he's a teenager. I think that... Uh, that with me, I feel that this idea of an entity, of a country, of a society, is something that I was brought up on, you know? It was the fantasy of my parents coming to Israel to have a country for the Jews. And, uh, and I think that my, my son lives in an age where all the people who have the same hobbies and understand him, yeah, are are in his uh, computer feed. Mm, right. and basically, country or society is just the annoying people, you know? <laughs> because on his computer, he just communicates with the people he wants. And no. the only people who, are who he's forced to communicate with are the people he bumps into in the street. And I think that this is a sentiment that I see many times because, you know, uh, right now, I, I don't know if you think about the state, you know, I read a survey, you know, I mean, all those surveys, you know, they should be, we should be suspicious about them. But I read the survey that they made where they asked uh, avid Republicans and avid Demo Democrats uh, how many of them would oppose if their children uh, 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 would date uh, a Muslim. And I think that, you know, at least at the survey, on both sides, like, I mean, the Democrats the, were more that were open to it, but even with the Republicans, it was like 25% said they wouldn't 
have it and 75% said, we'd live with it, we live with it. Now they asked the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, if you, your son or daughter would marry somebody from the other camp, like if a Republican would marry a Democrat, Across, how many yeah. of them would you, you accept that? And only 50% accepted wow. that. And I think that there's something very interesting about that because the truth is that, that for many people, uh, I don't know, their, their son uh, marrying a Muslim is an idea. But their son marrying a Democrat or Republican, it's that guys they always want to beat up. You know, it's that guys that yeah. always get on the nerves in the bar right. and turns the TV on Fox News and yeah. you know and say those dumb things. So, so, so I think that that really, when I look through this, the eyes of my son with technology, this idea of society or community is being challenged, and the idea that that he should root for the people who are in the closest proximity to to himself seems like something that is a little bit old you know when i when i ask him you know uh, do you think you're going to live in israel in the future and he says oh that i'm going to live in many places i think that israel will be one of them but i i don't see myself living in one place wow. you know but you know there are which is I think that your son, you know, he's growing up with a family, and I'm not talking about parents only, that each one has its own voice, that it's not like in the general voice of everybody. And the, in order to find his place and to carry out his voice, he's doing something else. And the, he's looking for something not to join everybody, just to find his spot and and reflect Every his... Every teenager. Uh, I'm more worried that his mind was engineered. Uh, why by what well i i don't i don't know if what i'm saying makes sense but when i watch the internet and listen to people on the internet i'm not sure uh if their perception is not uh, distorted to do what she does what she just said trying to be different trying to be provocative there is something but i'm not sure about the genuine connection to oneself yeah, but, but but I do think that you know what I think is you know that the the internet is a technology. It's like a little bit like a megaphone. You know, yeah, if I take I... a megaphone and uh, will sing to you, are you lonesome tonight? You would think that a megaphone is a wonderful invention. And if I would curse you, but I would say, oh my God, life became worse since this technology had been made. So. I think that, you, by the way, looking at my son, my son is like 70 years, 17 years old. If he was 70 years old, this would mean yeah. that I look young. But he's 17 years old and uh, he's uh, uh, finishing, he's uh, working on his BA in math, which he learned through the computer completely. Wait, BA? Undergraduate BA. in 17? Yeah, he's studying kind of courses in mathematics and he likes it. And... Uh, and he has uh, friends all over the world. You know, one of, one of his best friends lives in Portugal, another one lives in Germany. And, uh, and he, everything that, if there's something that he doesn't know, let's say if I ask him, hey, how can you do this and this and this? And you know, uh, program this, uh, get a package, then he knows how to study and learn this. And he has many proficiencies that I don't have. And, and I'm saying that I agree with cities that being a teenager, you have to rebel. But I think that, you know, I, I've been living in this same apartment, which you can see this tiny room in a tiny apartment. I've been living in it for 30 years. 30? Uh, 30. Well, and uh, and I, I would, would probably die in it, you know, uh, because I, I see no incentive of moving. You know, I like my neighbors, uh, you know, I... Everything's okay. Why? Why would I go into the hassle of moving? And while my son, really, there is something a little bit more nomadic about him. This idea is that he wants to experience things and he wants to be in other places. Now, I'm saying, I I think that there, it's not necessarily good or bad, you know. But but I feel that uh, that uh, it's uh, there are many many different things. And you know, I don't know. It's like when it comes to video games, 
then, then you know, when our son started playing them, then I watched all those TV things saying, it's horrible, you know, it's violent games. He will become senseless, he'll lose his mind. And what happened was that I asked my son, I said, can you teach me all the games that you play? And he taught me, and some of those, those games were really dumb and, you know, didn't develop you in any way. But others were actually exactly the equivalent of the games that we played as children. You know, it's really yeah. like, a, it's really like a, I don't know, hide and seek and stuff like that. But it's basically he's playing it with people around the world. But it's about many games because I've seen years ago when um, I visited a place that basically put together a lot of new, new ideas. And I saw that it's exactly what we grew up on, just in a different technique. And that, that really uh, talks to these people. But you know, the definition of the room what you mean a room and what he means a room is a very different room. The definition is different. The whole, the whole idea about territory and a place and the uh, relations is a very different story when you talk to these young people and they live through, they have, their neighborhood is huge and it has no right. borders and it's a very different story so i think they live in a different world in a way and we're just you know trying to hang hang on so we don't lose it but um we're not talking about the same things and that's why we always say oh it's not good we had it better no it's different it just it's all the same just different and yeah, every yeah, technique no, I, you I, use it for good and you use it for bad yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, it's a little bit uh, what happened with the technology advancing, that it's a little bit kind of a leverage, you know, it's yeah. really, or a tool. it's a little bit, let's say, people always wanted to kill each other, you know, they used to do it with right. rocks, now they do it with nuclear bombs. Right. Now, the idea that, you know, nuclear energy can light up the entire planet or it can destroy the planet. Yeah. In, the bot in the bottom line, I think that uh, every generation has its, inventory it has the stuff that it can use and the and the way that we're moving or escalating is that this stuff you know could could help or ruin you know on kind yep. of on a on a bigger scale it's always know? about I, how you use it and about ethics and the yeah, yeah. it's a, you know today you have 3d printers that can print out a human heart like, or a or a bomb right you know, it just it just yeah. No, it's you clicking the Different button. Different buttons. That's I know. I say that this is like the industrial revolution, the 3D, or the way it changed the world. It's bigger. But now the AI. I think that the GPT is the biggest, biggest, biggest yes. revolution. Right. And I, I really, really think, you know, the way that, that I see it, I may sound morbid, but what I think is that basically uh, the way that people were able to, to find meanings to their lives. A, a, a exterior to religion was that they would like they wanted to see their role as important as a helpful to society now i think that in already now but in 10 or 12 years we will need to invent ourselves another story you know i want to say that you know the way that i see my writing had changed a lot through the years because when I was young, you know, of course I was more vain, but I really saw kind of my role in society trying to tell things. And now I feel like, you know, that in the, regardless of, of the age, as if I'm in some kind of a pension, you know, trying to make myself think and to communicate with people. And it's not me serving society. It's basically me kind of uh, trying to hang out with society and make it nice for both of us. But I don't have this feeling that, that you know, that my role is important. And I think that, you know, I, 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 go, I go a lot with taxi drivers uh, because I don't, don't drive well. So, so when, I, uh, when I talk to taxi drivers, you know, it's almost common that, you know, taxi drivers that usually you either talk about politics or yeah. mm -hmm. don't talk I at all. They talk to me about this fact. They say, you know, in 10 years, there will be a car going on by itself. Yeah. And you, you really say, 
And you know, and I tell them, you know, in 10 years, there will be a computer writing my stories, you know. Yeah. Well, both of us, we're going to play squash together, but there are going to be also computers that will play squash for us. Then are you we'll worried? Have to think about something else. Yeah. Are you worried that, you know, they will be able to write stories that uh, uh, will use your language, your. Your voice. Oh, oh, you know, I already took part in a in a, a journalistic project where I they kind of fed all my all the stuff I wrote to a GPT, and I wrote a story, and GPT wrote a story, and they gave it to people, and they had to find out. And who, who is who? And, uh, who is who? But and and I must say that uh, that right now it's still easy, but it's going to become harder. But what I want to say. Is that that I think I'm I'm not afraid at all that let's say there will be computers that will write as well or better than me. I'm really not afraid of that because I think that what I say to taxi drivers, you know what? When there will be autonomous cars, you can still drive for fun. You know, you go to the country and drive your car in circus. And I'm saying I can still write and I can still affect the 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 people around me. If there's something I'm scared of is that the way that the GPT works, it's not really like, as we say in, in those sci-fi movies, that it's smarter than us. But what it knows, it basically, it's a statistic, mod, statistic model. So let's say if they want to write a story, they write a story about the stuff that people are interested in. And if they want to make a change, they make a change that will make most people amused from. So this is a little bit like the the philosophy of McDonald's that yeah. you make a hamburger, let's say if the hamburger would be super spicy uh, or, you know, with many seasoning or very specific, many people will say, I can't eat it. But if you make it kind of flat enough, yeah. then everybody can take it. And I think that what I'm afraid of is that when people will get used to consuming these texts or these movies, because, you know, they're going to make movies like this too, then the problem will be that the moment that they will ha have to deal with a voice that is not speaking that exact language, they will find it strange or worried, weird. It's a little bit like, let's say, if you lived in a place where everything was reproductions of art, and I would give you a, an authentic Van Gogh or Picasso painting, you would say, no, I don't know, it's, it's not as flat, you have all those lamps on it, you know, I don't like it. I want it to be like the reproduction. So, so I think that if I have any fear that it will kind of a, a diminish our word and our taste, but, but this doesn't necessarily mean that this what would happen. This just means that's, that's what I'm yeah. scared of. But, but, you know, going back to our life in reality, uh, there are a lot of people like think, should I write this story? Let's say filmmakers. Uh, which fund will finance it? Because today everybody, you know, is like programmed to think not his voice only, but the chances that other people will not accept your voice. And if I want to keep writing or keep making movies, I better adjust to whatever was planted in my perception. So I, I think that, that, you know, that there is something about it, that as somebody who's a writer, but who also makes films, I always uh, felt that I, I tread on safer ground than a, a, a filmmakers that, like you, you know, that you are ma majorly a filmmaker because, because what I felt was <laughs> that for writing, I don't need a budget, I don't need money, I can always write what I want. If nobody will publish it, I'll print it in my computer and give it to people in the cafe. You know, I, I, I can be autonomous. now. The way that it's happening now, in five years, you can make your own movies with no budget. You say first scene, a, a handsome dark man. No, 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 he's not handsome enough. Sorry, he's too dark. Can you make him taller? Yeah, I don't like him. Can you make him more Anthony Hopkins-like? And you will mold yes. things into things. And basically, it will be just a question of time. And if you be willing to sit on your own then the same way I write a story you make a movie and the, the beautiful thing about it is that if when you call, come to funds or people who want to fund you they say you know what CP if we can't find 
3 million people who are interested in this stuff, if we can be reassured that those people exist, then we don't want to bet on them. But the moment that you say, hey, I have this thing, I can make it, I don't ask anybody for permission, maybe 20 million people would like it. I can tell you something really silly and very, very Israeli, but the but I worked for a TV show many, many years ago, 30 years ago, called The, the, the Chamber Quintet, yeah. which was, a, I would say, maybe some kind of an equivalent of Saturday Day Night Live in Israel. Right. Now, when, when I started working in it, uh, all the people that worked in it had one thing in common. No other show would take them. Because, <laughs> because you know, I was a writer with no... Uh, background in writing scripts, you know, the uh, Modi Baron who wrote uh, other sketches was a stand-up comedian, comedian who couldn't get enough gigs, you know, and basically two of the five actors were actually film directors who couldn't get the budget to direct, so we were all doing kind of something that we were not extremely good at, and the only reason that they let us do it was because it was super cheap. So they said, we have to make a, to invest money in local production. This is the law. Yeah. Your production is the cheapest. We can put it, air it on midnight where nobody would see that you don't, you guys don't know what you're doing. And uh, everybody will be happy. And in the end, what happened was that this became the most popular show right. of, of its time with a lot of rating with people that that experts would explain to you that they would never see this show because you know yeah it's not in their taste they actually liked it so i'm saying nobody can really really predict it but the moment that there there is money involved there are people who are forced to predict it and that that means because you know if 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 you tell me i want to make a movie and it's just like i don't know like Two hours, me talking to Tzili while we're having dinner. Then I would say, oh, you know, I don't know if you can find an audience. But one of the best movies I've ever seen. My dinner with Andre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was my dinner with Andre. And basically, it was, you know, two guys having a dinner and speaking. It's not many like this. (laughs) No, it it doesn't always work. But what I'm saying is the difference, I think, between an artist and an investor is that an artist is always sure that what he wants to say is extremely interesting. And when you become, when you gain experience with the years, you know that the sensation will always be there and that sometimes you get those people and sometimes you won't. And that when you won't get them, those people, you never know if it was just, you were just unlucky or basically what you did wasn't good enough. And you just keep on going because that's what the artist keeps going. So I'm saying that the, the moment that you'll be able to make your movies alone, yeah, everything the moment will be I can make like documentary, I just go by myself with you know, the, my own. Yeah. but technology is biting artists hard, and uh, it's interesting to see what will take place. In yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I think you know I'm looking, I'm working a lot with illustrators. You know, now when you have AI like Dali, yeah. Uh, and and you know and I've I have many friends who are photographers who had to live through the age in which people started taking yes. photos on their iPhone because you know in the past you, you needed to to have the right light and the right lens and to develop the film correctly so there was some kind of an expertise right. that that kept it away but I I don't think that today people don't. Uh, make beautiful photography but I think that if you delve deep into it you feel in the contemporary work the fact that they need to differentiate themselves from mm-hmm. an iPhone photo yes. and, and 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 I feel that this is something that again you know it's I think you know when I was young people used to say eh, people don't read these days you know <laughs> eh, they just watch TV. And then they said, oh, they don't read. And they watch the internet. And maybe their great-grandparents, they say, oh, they don't read. And they watch films, you know. And before that, they say, they don't read. They go dancing with girls, you know. In the bottom in the bottom line, you know, it's not as if there were periods in which people were curious and the experimental 
and deep and uh, people in which people and periods in which people were shallow. I think that the, the structure was different and the way to people's heart was different. But in the bottom line, you know, it, it, it stays it's the same game. It's hard to change the concept. And I think that the, uh, the sentiment of what you, what you are familiar with and the, the value of what you feel is part of this culture is threatening, is being threatened, you know, by new things and the new voices. And, but it's happening all the time. And it's, uh, it's hard to be a part of it. But, but also but, the way to find the new way, even those photographers you are talking, there is until they between where what the what it was and what it becomes, it's very hard to find how to cope with that. Yeah, but but I'm saying when you talk about you making the documentaries on your own, yeah, you know, I mean, you you two are young women, but I remember the times in which. Uh, you were unable to make a film like that because you had to take a 35 millimeter camera, right. which was super expensive and very heavy. Okay. And the shots that you take, you know, of the little boy pushing his brother, you could never take it because you had to, to make a shot yeah. and light it, you know? Yeah. So, 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 so I'm saying, I'm just kind of trying to be a little bit like my dad. I'm saying that, you know, maybe you don't, Maybe you don't understand the system, the marketing, the, but in, in a sense, if you look in your micro level, you know, it's actually many things that were difficult for you are, are yeah. now easier. It's a little bit like, you know, when we look at this time and we see so many things that are really threatening, you know, it's a crazy time. But, you know, my dad would say, but look what's happening with medicine, you know? Maybe in five or 10 years, you know, they'll find a cure to everything. You know, so many of the problems that we have, we are dealing with them so easily now. So what I want to say is that, that I think that what's threatening us is some kind of a, a reductive narrative, which is carried and becomes viral in social media, which means that we live in a world where we have to like and unlike stuff. So ambiguity, is not a good commodity in social right. media but i'm but i'm saying we we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't allow ourselves you know to uh, to adapt adopt this narrative we should kind of look at it you know and say okay this is what you're offering the store i don't want the combo i don't want you know the buy well, free get one one for free what's good for me yeah, yeah? but but listen when uh, before i i pick up the camera myself I had a cameraman, right? Because as you said, I couldn't really do it myself. Looking at you straight in the black of your eyes is different than looking to you through the lenses. For sure. And I, it took me a long time to understand how to almost reclaim my uh, inquiry about the nuances in your face as is and through the lenses, it is different, you know? And I, I, I agree now, with you. I, agree I with go you, myself but, because I, I, I hate to raise money. <laughs> uh, no, 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 but, but, but I agree with you. But, but, but really what I want to say, you know, maybe I don't know, kind of, kind of return to what we talked before. But, you know, when I said that, that, uh, that uh, I used to write books, now I write signs. When I write a sign, I tried to enjoy it and own it the same way that I own my books, you know, or my stories. So, so I'm saying it's a process, you know, it's a process trying to, you know, when I wrote stories and then I started writing scripts, it was a process. But actually there is something that I think almost a, a positive in this process, because imagine that, you know, that you would already know how to, to do everything. And that nothing would be right. a mystery to you. And that you wouldn't be afraid to go on a shooting day because you have a new camera and you're not sure if you know how to charge it. You know, all those kind of things are kind of making us more alive, you know, more in the moment. You're right. And, and, and let, you know, so, so I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to convince you that... No, you're talking like your father. That, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, 
to keep more than one voice in my head because when I, when I listen outside of my head, there's only two voices, you know? I don't want to listen to either of them. You know, I want to listen to something more complex. And if this thing doesn't travel well through Facebook, then I'll make it myself. You know, it's interesting. It's something um, from my boys' world. There are now, I have twins, they're 23. When they were much, much, much younger um, kids, they watched cartoons or something like eight o'clock in the evening and said, well, if they watch cartoons on eight o'clock in the evening, I don't have to watch it, you know, it, it's okay. And then we met friends and uh, we were sitting outside with two other boys and they played a game, four of them. Let's, each one would uh, say a tune and we'll, we'll find which show it's played from. And my boys are starting to hum. And the other two say, you're allowed to watch this program? And I said, <laughs> oh, what does it mean? So I watched it with them. It was Family Dad, a Family Guy or American Dad. Oh. for Seth MacFarlane. And I just joined them and I watched it with them every day. And I said, they already saw it. What am I going to say? You're not, you cannot see it. But we were talking about it. The interesting thing was Seth MacFarlane, who is a genius and is doing many good things, he's also... Like he likes Frank Sinatra and the old and the 50s uh, the songs. My late husband was crazy about Frank Sinatra. He couldn't give his music or his ideas to the boys. He was in a different world. They were in a different world. And all of a sudden, there was one day when he was sick, they, they celebrated 100 years of Frank Sinatra all over the United States. And they had a big performance in New York. And... Um, Part of our team was working there, said, Tilly, bring, bring Leon because it's Frank Sinatra. Let's put him in the back and it will be fine. And who is um, emceeing the evening? Seth MacFarlane. So I took a, a photo and I sent it to the boys. I said, look who is here. And then he start, I didn't know he started to, to sing Frank Sinatra. So I showed it to the boys. It came out that they know all the music and they like all the music through Seth MacFarlane, who used it in his uh, shows they had no idea their father was part you know from this world the whole round you know they have they know so much from our world and they use it in a very different world and they do it quietly because it's in the ears you don't see it you don't hear it so the, it's just technology leads the question is, what do you do with this and how do you relate to this? And where do you find the common ground so you can really hop on and do it together? And it's and it's rolling and it's rolling and it will roll forever. And we just need to keep ethics alive and not to put them away, just to be with them on that on that wagon, you know? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. But, but you know, when, when you talked about it, I, I, again, you know, I think that the threats, if you want to think about threats, they're always uh, in humanity. So, yeah. I, so if you talk about, you know, art or, or, or the future of art, if there's anything that, that kind of uh, threaten it nowadays, I feel, is that uh, it's basically... Uh, if in the past art was seen as something that is exterior to reality, right. now art is seen as somebody something that is supposed to serve reality. Right. And and the, and this idea that you know, I, I right now when Meir Shalev died, there was a big debate because Netanyahu uh, didn't say anything. Uh, yeah, it took him a lot of time, and then he said something very minor, annoying. Uh, and <laughs> no, <laughs> and the idea was. That many people like I don't know Amit Segal said, uh, "What do you want?" You the know, TV personal. Uh, Mel criticized Netanyahu and his politics. He asked him to resign. So what? This guy was his enemy. You want to say that he wrote good books? Mm -hmm. You know. So 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 I think that this is this kind of a a reductive kind of binary thing. This idea of saying, you know, Mel like Mel Shalev <laughs> always said nasty things about him, and I never liked him. But his importance to literature, this ability right. to use the, the but is something that, that we're losing. And I think that the, uh, <coughs> when it becomes more reductive, there is something about, about our, the idea that when we wa watch a movie or a TV series, we want to know the bottom line. Yes. Is it a good movie or a bad movie right. because of what it says? You know, 
is it a pro-abortion movie or against abortion? And and I think that this combo of of right wing thoughts on the right end and the and P <laughs> and PC and identity culture on the other, the people who suffer or the, the people who suffer from it are both the artists and their audience because they because the art are <laughs> supposed to be uh, stopped being the, this kind of open space in which you can experiment and it should be. A, a space that echoes already things that were checked by the FDA and that yeah, we so know this that is what great. I meant before about you know when I said you know that people think now what to say because then non-relevant feedback comes in which has nothing to do with what they say or what they do or what the value of what they do uh yeah it is it was very annoying what happened you know uh, yeah, it, it, it's basically for me. It's really misunderstanding what art is all about. Yes. You know, I think exactly. I, <clears throat> I think that people traditionally who tried to uh, limit the scope of art were a, a fundamentalist, a, a religious a entities, you know, or fascists. And right. now it almost becomes kind of a a, a normal. A, a liberal truth that you know that uh, things should be regulated. Now I'm saying when I write stories, like I write, I write rapists, I write murderers, I write mass murderers. When I write them, my in my story, I don't want to make them as uh, simplified as they can. I I want I I use this platform to try to understand something that I can't understand in real life. So yeah. I try to build some kind of bridge to it. But the moment that you build a bridge to it, and they say, but it's not clear. Yes. Like if he's, a, if he's playing, a, I, I, I know that there was this, a, a, I think, a movie, a free signs in, a, I forgot, it was something like Nebraska or something, free signs in some place. Right. And I remember, and I remember that the, the person who was nominated for the supporting a, a actor role was a guy who played a a, a racist a sheriff or racist racist de deputy sheriff, and the thing is, is that many people wanted to boycott him because they said that he made this character too likable. Yeah, I remember that. So 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 I'm saying that there is something or or. Or when Sarah Silverman talks about Jew face, you know, like, you know, only uh, Jewish people can ju play Jewish people. What? So, so this idea or only homosexual can play homosexual. So why not have uh, only a sociopath play psychopath killers? You know, it's really like, you know, they're also being shown in a very negative light in Hollywood movies. And, and the sociopath have such uh, difficulty finding a job, you know. So why why put sociopath uh, actors uh, out there, you know? I'm, I'm saying there is something ridiculous about it because because I'm, when you talk about races, if I want to make a movie tomorrow, and it will be about the Second World War, and Adolf Hitler will be played by an Afro American actor, what do Can I you? want to deal? With? Who should I deal with? Like I'm saying, it could be the German Guild of Actors saying, well, actually, oh, they're Austrian. They say, well, you know, Hitler was Austrian. Why do you bring an American to play an Austrian? You know, it's not in his heritage, you know. And on the other hand, maybe uh, people will say, how dare you smear, I don't know, from again. But I, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about how reality is something that is impossible to digest. I want to talk about some kind of a sensation of confusion. So I'm saying this liberty is being taken, you know, it's a little yeah, bit like, you know, with when you go and you see a movie, a series in Netflix, you know, the unwritten contract between you and this series is that when if you read those four sentences, you know how you're going to feel like when the, when the series is going to end. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's going to confuse you, if they say, it's a thriller and it's going to be funny, you know, you're going to sue them, you know, because you want it to be it's like really this. It's diminishing you know? the intelligence of the, of the audience, 
completely. For sure. Yeah. And I want to say something that is, is very pragmatic and said, but I'm running out of battery and to charge it, I need to take my headphones ah. out. So She has a Zoom soon. So we let you go and we'll do it again. It's always hard to let you go, but uh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, thank you. We are going, I'm going to come back in a month. So I will see you in the demonstration. Yeah. Right, we should bump into each other. I'm sure. You, know? yeah. you me, and 200,000 other people. That's okay. That's <laughs> wonderful. Edgar, thank you. We'll talk again. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.